Well, let's go ahead and come on inside and let's open up our Bibles to Ezekiel 34. Ezekiel 34, it is on page 722 of your Pew Bible. That might sound like an unusual place to turn uh, for the Sunday after uh, Thanksgiving and as we sort of bridge into the Christmas holidays, but I can assure you it will be very relevant to what the Lord has for us in the Sunday morning worship service. Once we, as I sort of made the decision to break for a little bit from the book of Exodus, I knew we would have one or two sermons that were sort of uh, Sundays that were sort of detached from an overarching theme. And one of the things that I really like to do on those types of Sundays is to prepare for what we're going to have in worship, we prepare for that with Sunday school. And so in worship, we're going to be in John chapter 10. Now, does anybody remember a famous phrase that the Lord says in John chapter 10? There's a few of them, but there's one in particular in John 10 that's really famous. He says, he says something. Anybody remember what that is from John 10? It begins with the phrase, with I am. The good shepherd. Yes, Anna's right. I am the good shepherd of the sheep. I'm the good shepherd. Well, as I said, that's a, uh, that has a lot of Old Testament background to it. That's a phrase that um, when Jesus said it, evoked a lot of scripture in the minds of those who heard him. The Bible is written in such a way that not, the doctrine is not segmented. Okay, let me, uh, so when, uh, when I went to, when I spent the summer in the Dominican Republic, I learned that in the Dominican Republic, they shop differently than we shop here. Okay, for example, there's a, 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 a couple of square blocks in this city where all the hardware stores are. If you go to the south end of town, you can't find a single hardware store. East end of town, you can't find a single hardware store. All the hardware stores are located in one little area of the town. The same for electrical supply stores. If you want a lamp or you know, any, a light fixture of some sort, you go to a whole different segment of the city, and that's where you'll find all of the stores. I asked them someday, one day, I said, why do they do that? Like, like, why don't they put an electronics store in the south end of town, and then all the people in the south end of town can drive a shorter distance? And they said, oh, that won't work. Nobody will go there. And I said, why not? Well, that's not where they go. <laughs> they go to the north end of town. And I said, okay, far be it for me to be the know-it-all American, but I think this is dumb. <laughs> so um, that's just how they did it. The sporting goods stores, whatever. And um, sometimes that's how we kind of think of Scripture. That Scripture has all the information like right here. Well, that's not the case at all. Scripture tends to kind of sprinkle information throughout, and you encounter it as you go. Now, there are some places where they have, where there are concentrations. But for the most part, themes are developed as the Bible goes, and you have to get a bird's-eye view of the Bible to kind of see how they all fit together. The notion of a shepherd is sprinkled all throughout Scripture. There's a few places where the idea of shepherd is concentrated, but for the most part, they are linked together 
in different ages as we go. We'll mention this in the Sunday morning sermon. The idea of the Lord as the shepherd goes all the way back to the book of Genesis. It was a theme of David's. So you have to advance a little bit to, to King David. And then the idea of shepherd really blossoms under the prophets. Jeremiah talks a lot about shepherd. Isaiah talks a lot about shepherd. Um, the minor prophets, Zechariah, Malachi, Amos, they all reference shepherds and God's shepherds. But no place in the Old Testament talks about one shepherd, the shepherd, the Lord's shepherd, more than Ezekiel 34. Jesus is going to go on to say in John 10, I am the good shepherd. When he says that, he has all of those shepherd passages in mind, but he has one particular passage from Ezekiel 34 in view. And I want us to study that this morning. So let's pick up our reading in Ezekiel 34. The word of the Lord came to me, Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, even to the shepherds, thus says the Lord your God, Ah, shepherds of Israel, who have been feeding yourselves, should not shepherds feed the sheep? You eat the fat, you clothe yourselves with the wool, you slaughter the fat ones, but you do not feed the sheep. The weak you have not strengthened, the sick you have not healed, the injured you have not bound up, the strayed you have not brought back, the lost you have not sought, and with force and harshness you have ruled them. So they were scattered because there was no shepherd, and they became food for all the wild beasts. My shepherds, my sheep were scattered. They wandered all over the mountains, and on every high hill, my sheep were scattered over all the face of the earth with none to search or seek for them. Therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. As I live, declares the Lord, surely because my sheep have become a prey, and my sheep have become food for all the wild beasts, since there was no shepherd. And because my shepherds have not searched for my sheep, but the shepherds have fed themselves and have not fed my sheep, therefore, you shepherds, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am against the shepherds, and I will require my sheep at their hand and put a stop to their feeding the sheep. No longer shall the shepherds feed themselves. I will rescue my sheep from their mouths. That they, may, uh, that they may not be food for them. For thus says the Lord God, Behold, I, I myself will search for my sheep and will seek them out. As a shepherd seeks out his flock when he is among the sheep that have been scattered, so I will seek out my sheep and I will rescue them from all the places where they have been scattered on a day of clouds and thick dark darkness. And I will bring them out from the peoples and gather them from the countries. And I will bring them into their own land. And I will feed them on the high mountains of Israel, by the ravines and in all the inhabited places of the country. I will feed them with good pasture. And on the mountain heights of Israel shall be their grazing land. Then they shall lie down in good grazing land and on rich pasture shall feed on the mountains of Israel. Here's a key phrase. I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep. And I will make them lie down, declares the Lord God. I will seek the lost, and I will bring back the strayed, and I will 
bind up the injured, and I will strengthen the weak, and the fat of the strong I will destroy. The fat and the strong I will destroy. I will feed them in justice. Now, he's going to go on to condemn the sheep, because I'm, as I'll discuss in a moment, there are a few condemnations to go around. But let's go down to verse 25. So, what have we learned so far? Who has determined to be the shepherd? God himself. Now God's going to elaborate. Verse 25, I will make a covenant. I will make with them a covenant of, of peace and banish wild beasts from the land so that they may dwell securely in the wilderness and sleep in the woods. And I will make them in the places all around my holy hill a blessing. Oh, I'm sorry. I, I, I took up the wrong verse. Let's go back to verse 21. Because you push with side and shoulder and thrust at all the weak with your horns till you have scattered them abroad, I will rescue my flock. They shall no longer be a prey, and I will judge between sheep and sheep. And here again we encounter another one of our key phrases. And I will set up over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he shall feed them. He shall feed them and be their shepherd. And I, the Lord, will be their God. And my servant David shall be prince among them. I am the Lord. I have spoken. Okay, so what are the two conclusions we're to draw here? That who, who's going to be the shepherd of the sheep? You already answered this question once. God, God himself. Now, he's going to elaborate further. Who will be the shepherd of the sheep. The son of David, a figure after David, a Messiah-type figure, this person who's coming. Now, are these two people or one person? What does the text say? They shall have one shepherd. One shepherd. So what does that mean? What is God wanting us to conclude from that? They're the same person. That the coming Messiah David is who? God himself. That's right. Emmanuel, God with us. Okay? So there's coming a shepherd who will come from the line of David who is God himself. Okay? Bear with me for one moment and turn with me to the book of Matthew. Turn with me to the book of Matthew. Okay, the first chapter. Okay. First chapter. Now remember, this is an Old Testament context. God says, leaders have led poorly. My sheep have been scattered. I'm going to be their shepherd. There's, going, there's coming a person, the son of David, who's going to be their shepherd, and he is God. Okay, These two are the same person, one shepherd. So look at Matthew 1, 1. This is the beginning of the New Testament. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David. Do you see the connection there? You see the connection that the New Testament writer is saying, okay, you've been hearing about this person David, this person after the line of David, this Messiah figure who's coming. And I'm telling you, this Jesus is him. This Jesus is the person that's 
predicted in all the Old Testament, but specifically in places like Ezekiel 34. Now let's give a little background to Ezekiel 34 so we understand it better. You can go back to Ezekiel. We'll stay there for the rest of our time. God is condemning a couple of different entities here in Ezekiel 34. Uh, Where are we in history? The southern kingdom has obeyed very poorly. God picked them up and deported them. And right now, the nation of Israel, uh, Judah specifically, is living in Babylon. Ezekiel was called to preach as a prophet as a very young man. He is contemporaries with Daniel. In fact, Ezekiel is going to ask his readers, are you wiser than Daniel? He knows, um, he knows Daniel. Now, whereas Daniel was, li- was living in the king's palace and was in the highest places of power, he's the prime minister of Babylon, Ezekiel is very much a common man. He's called while sitting next to something called the Chibar Canal. This is a place where poor Jewish people lived. We know this. There's been archaeological excavations. And all sorts of Jewish peasants who'd been picked up and moved, this was sort of a a Jewish, um, what do they call that in New York City? I'm I'm blanking. Uh, A borough, yeah. Um, So like if you go to New York City, there's Chinatown, and then there's a very strong Jewish section, and over here there's a very strong Jamaican section, and and, and you can actually hop on the subway and visit different nations of the world. There's a Russian section. And it, it's, it's very cool. You get out and suddenly everybody's speaking a different language and is clearly of different racial descent. And that's, in a sense, how Babylon was. There was a, uh, an area designated for Jewish refugees. They're all poor. They're all poverty-stricken. They're there as words of the state. And that's where Ezekiel is. He's writing from this little area as the Lord has called him as prophet. And Ezekiel, in this chapter, is condemning Israel's shepherds. Now, the shepherds that he's condemning are previous kings and leaders of Israel. These are the kings who brought in idolatry. These are the kings who... um, led the nation astray. These are the kings who are currently doing no good for Israel and for Judah. And God has something to say to them. That's when he's saying right here, I am against you shepherds. And I'm going to bring in my shepherd from the line of David. And he's going to be a better shepherd. He's going to be a better shepherd king than any of you shepherd kings ever were. He's going to condemn them for their parasitic behavior. It says right here that these shepherds, these former kings, they took advantage of the flock. They clothed themselves of the wool. They drank the sheep's milk. They ate the fat ones. Now, in ancient or even modern day, you know, care of sheep, that's considered okay if you've got a strong flock. If you've got a healthy, strong flock, you can take the wool off of them and harvest it. That's expected. You can take 
some of them and harvest them for the mutton. But that's only in the case where the shepherd is doing all of this other legwork. They're doing a great job on this side. Then they can use the sheep to sort of feed themselves on the other. And what God is saying is these are shepherds that have taken advantage of all the, the sheep give them, but have done none of the work in caring for the sheep otherwise. They, sheep tend to get cuts, especially on their legs, and those cuts get infected. And when those cuts get infected, it requires special medical care. Those wounds have to be bound up or the sheep will eventually develop a limp and will die. The sheep, after they've been shorn, they're now naked. And it takes special care of them in the immediate aftermath of having been shorn. And the shepherds have to take special note of them. They have to do that at a certain time of the year. The sheep, are they tend to wander off and they're vulnerable. They're essentially defenseless animals. And once they get driven off into the countryside, they're not going to make it much longer. They're not very coordinated. They don't find water on their own. It takes constant care of sheep to keep the flock strong. And what God is saying is, you shepherds have come in, you've taken, a, you've taken all the, the perks, you've taken all the advantages, and you've done none of the work to feed my sheep, to heal my sheep, to go gather the scattered sheep, to take care of the broken and limp sheep. You've only taken, you haven't given. And I'm coming, I'm going to send my shepherd, and I'm going to be your shepherd in such a way that it completely undoes all of those wrongs. Okay? God is condemning previous kings. Now, Let's go ahead here to verse 17 for a second. God has something to say to the flock. The shepherds haven't done their job, but God is going to say something to the flock as well. As for you, my flock, thus says the Lord, behold, I judge between sheep and sheep, between rams and male goats. Is it not enough for you to feed on good pasture that you must tread down with your feet the rest of the pasture? And to drink of clear water that you muddy the rest of the water with your feet. And must my sheep eat what you have trodden with your feet and drink what you have muddied with your feet? Okay, God is saying, now listen, my people have been defeated. They've been deported. They've been taken over here. They've been disadvantaged by these wicked shepherds. And because of those wicked shepherds, my sheep are now scattered all over the world. They have nobody to care for them. But where those sheep have been scattered, now what I'm looking at are bullies in my flock. They come in and they bump one another. They gore one another. They trample on one another. That's not the fault of the shepherd. That's the fault of the flock. Furthermore, my flock poisons the water, as it were, for the other sheep as well. And he's talking about holiness. They're getting themselves entangled up in all sorts of sin. And that wrecks the purity of the rest of my flock. So God here is condemning Israel's spiritual leaders 
but he's also condemning the sheep. He's saying, oh, sheep of mine, you yourselves are not totally innocent. Okay? So, what is the answer to the problem of shepherds that don't care for the sheep but only care for themselves? What's the answer to shepherds who don't do any of the work of caring for the sheep but are constantly taking from the sheep? What's the answer for sheep who are beating each other up? What's the answer for sheep who are falling into sin and leading other sheep into that sin with them? Well, the answer is a good shepherd. The answer is to have God himself intervene and mediate that intervention through a person, through a good and right shepherd. He will right all the wrongs of the previous shepherds, and he will keep the flock in line. (laughs) Now, let's look and see how God does that. I want you to notice how God speaks into this situation. Number one, God makes a personal commitment to intervene. Okay, Look right here in verse 8. He says, As I live, declares the Lord, surely. This is going to be a theme that goes throughout the rest of this chapter. God is taking personal initiative. God is taking personal offense. And God is, God is uh, not to mix metaphors here, taking the bull by the horns. God is taking ownership of the situation. And I want us to notice, he says, as I live. In other words, this is a, I will cease to exist before I will refuse to intervene here. He, what follows are I will statements. Okay? It doesn't, sometimes our translators smooth it out a little bit, but in this case, they do a pretty good job of bringing out all the I wills. So, for example, go down to verse um, 10. I am against the shepherds. I will require my sheep by their hand. And I will put a stop to their feeding the sheep. No longer shall the shepherds feed them, uh, feed themselves. I will rescue my sheep from their mouths. Go down to verse 11. For thus says the Lord God, Behold, I, I myself will search for the sheep, and I will seek them out. Now, God is saying this specifically. And 18 times, 18 times in this passage, God is, says that he will personally intervene in the situation. 18 times. Furthermore, God says three different times, and this is incredibly important, every time he does it, he says, I myself will be their shepherd. I'm going to shoulder this myself. I'm taking this responsibility upon myself. I, I myself, will search for my sheep. I will seek them out. God is taking the initiative. God is personally committing himself to shepherding his flock. 
Another thing that God is doing is God has determined to be against bad leadership of his people. God stands opposed to people who are abusing the sheep and not caring for the sheep. Look at verse 10. He says, I'm against you. I'm going to put a stop to you. No longer will you do this. God is going to talk about this transition of what they had to what they will have. And the whole idea of rescue is that the people of Israel, the sheep of Israel, they haven't, they're now being devoured by their own shepherds. And God is going to put a stop to it and rescue those people out of the hands of those shepherds that were abusing them and bring them unto himself. Another thing that God is very specific about in this is that God himself will rescue. Look at verses 10 through 16. We see this played out the entire time. Uh, Verses 10 through 16. I will rescue my sheep from their mouths that they may not be food for them. For thus says the Lord God, I, I myself will search out for my sheep and will seek them out as shepherds seek out his flock when he is among his sheep that have been scattered, so I will seek out my sheep, and I will rescue them from all places where they have been scattered on a day of clouds and thick darkness, and I will bring them out from the peoples and gather them from the countries, and I will bring them into their own land, and I will feed them on the mountains of Israel. God is committing himself to rescue them, to rescue them from the wicked shepherds and to rescue them from the wicked people. God himself will rescue. God opposes bad leadership. And then God, God supplies, God supplies what will be amazing provision. Now, in this passage, what we see is something that's called prophetic telescoping. Okay? Prophetic telescoping. Oftentimes, prophecies get put together in the same passage, but they're prophecies that sort of leap millennia, okay? So right here, God is saying, I'm going to gather my sheep and put them back into their own land. That's going to happen within 50 years, depending on when Ezekiel wrote this. That's going to happen within a few decades, But then, God goes on to say that I'm going to shepherd them with my shepherd, with this seed of David, with this root, this branch of David. And that's going to happen about 500 years from then. About another 500 years, the good shepherd's going to come along. But then this good shepherd is going to do something substantial. Look at what the good shepherd's going to do. Verse 26. I will make them in the places all around my hill a blessing, and I will send down the showers in their season, and they shall be a blessing. And the trees of the, yield, of the field shall yield their fruit, and the earth shall yield its increase, and they shall be secure in the land, and they shall know that I am the Lord when I break the bars of their yoke and deliver them from the hand of those who enslaved them. They shall no more be prey to the nations, 
nor shall the beasts of the land devour them. They shall dwell securely, and none shall make them afraid. And I will provide for them renowned plantations, so that they shall be consumed with uh, no more consumed with hunger in the land, and no longer suffer the reproach of the nations. And they shall know that I am the Lord their God with them, and that they, the house of Israel, are my people, declares the Lord. And you are my sheep, human sheep of my pasture. I am your God, declares the Lord God. Does the nation Israel currently recognize Christ as their shepherd? Does the nation of Israel currently recognize this God as their shepherd? No. In fact, the, the number one religion in Israel is, I don't know if it's the number one religion, but very high up there is atheism. Um, current Jewish people are, by and are, I don't know what the numbers are, but very... There's a very strong agnostic and atheistic um, population within Jewishness right now. When they say that they're Jews, what they mean is I'm ethnically a Jew. I descend from the Jewish, from a Jewish line. And by no means could it be said that the entire nation is dwelling securely in their land. By no means can it be said that the entire nation knows this God to be their God, that the entire nation um, knows Christ to be their shepherd. This is a promise. These are promises that await fulfillment. So do you see what the prophet has done? He's, he's skipped ahead a few decades, and then he's skipped ahead a few centuries, and then he skipped ahead a few millennia and counting. We don't know when that third one's going to come to pass. But what we need to remember is, just as God literally fulfilled the promise that this shepherd would descend through the line of David, so he will literally fulfill these promises that he's making to his people in Ezekiel 34. And so when Jesus comes along and says, I'm the good shepherd, he means, I'm the person that's going to seek you out. I'm the person that, though you're scattered, is going to go find you. That's why he tells the parable of the 90 and 9. He's got 99 in the fold, but he goes and finds the one who's missing and rejoices greatly when he finds it. You think about the grace that Jesus is showing these people, his people. They despised him. They hated him. They were constantly seeking to put him to death. They didn't believe a word he said. They said that he was possessed by a devil. To this day, they say he was a bastard child of Mary and a Roman centurion. They don't want him. They don't like him. They don't think they need him as Savior. And yet Jesus, in all his grace and mercy, has promised by his own life to pursue them, to go get them, to bring them to repentance, to show them mercy and grace. 
and to rain showers of blessing on them until they are a blessing to all those around them. What grace. What grace. And when Jesus tells these Jewish people, I'm the good shepherd, they hated him and tried to stone him. When his intention all along was to draw them to himself, save them from their sins, bind them from their difficulties, and help them. When God turns his conversation to this covenant of peace that he's going to make with them, verse 25, I will make with them a covenant of peace. He further commits himself to all these I wills. I will judge. I will rescue. I will set up one shepherd. I will be their God. I will make them a covenant. Uh, I will banish threats. I will make them a blessing. He says, I will send showers, fruitful trees, bumper crops. I will give them security. Jesus promises all of those things. But here is why it's so important. And here is why we're in this passage before we hop into John 10. In John 10, Jesus says, I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The good shepherd knows his sheep and his sheep know him. Do you think Jesus just made that up? Do you think Jesus just thought of that off the top of his head? I don't think so. Let's go down to verse 29. He says, I will provide for them renowned plantations so that they shall no more be consumed with hunger in the land and no longer suffer the reproach of nations. And then when he does that, they shall know that I am the Lord their God with them. And that they, the house of Israel, are my people, declares the Lord God, and you are my sheep, human sheep of my pasture. I am your God, declares the Lord God. The whole upshot of this good shepherd, the whole upshot of this shepherd who is God himself, who will appear in human flesh through the line of David, the whole purpose of that is knowledge. Specifically, his people's knowledge of himself. That is the same goal for us. Okay, that's the same goal for us. Jesus comes and he calls us. He found us scattering and going astray. He doesn't find us on some hill somewhere, beaten up and broken down. He doesn't come alongside and mend us and then send us on our merry way. He comes and gets us. He throws us on his shoulder and he brings us back into his fold where we can then know him and him know us. And it's this knowledge, it's this knowledge that defines you. Let me say that very carefully again. This knowledge 
that Christ has of you and that you have of Christ defines you. It is your security. It is your help. It is your identity. To be known and know is the entire purpose of Christ coming and being your shepherd. To know and be known. And so when we start trying to make life about something other than the knowledge of Christ, we're undercutting his purposes for us. When we try to make life about whatever it is you want to make life about, there, <laughs> I, was at, I was talking with my son, Peyton, the other day. We, uh, we'll go down to Ogden and I, we'll swim. I swim and do the lap swim in the pool. I'm a shamefully slow swimmer, okay? Um, I swim, and uh, there's this um, older lady, and she just motors right past me, and she does flip turns and looks awesome. And just, like, she, I swear she's a former Olympian. That must be the case. Because, like, she'll go down and back in the time it takes me to go down. Or she's using steroids. I don't know what she's doing. She's up to something. <laughs> I am not that slow. Well, no, I am. Um, well, Peyton, we'll go down together, and he likes to ask me questions. And we got to talking about idols. What are idols? And he said, what are some of the things people make idols out of? And I started listing off things I've seen people make idols out of, things I've found myself making idols out of. And I started listing them when I was up at the top of the reservoir, and I was still listing them when I spit out the bottom. And I realized we make idols out of a lot of things. <laughs> and, and basically anything that we would value can become an idol for us. Jesus says there was a great goal in him coming to be our shepherd. And it's to know you personally as he has known you in eternity past. And it's for you to know him personally. And whatever gets in the way of that knowledge, whatever competes for our knowledge of him in a way that diminishes our knowledge of him, is an idol or has potential of becoming an idol. And we have to throw off those weights, as the writer of Hebrews would say. And... feast on the knowledge of Christ. Okay. How do you do that? Well, the more of Christ's word you get into your heart, the more you'll know him. Some of us aren't great readers. I get that. You can listen to sermons. You can meditate on the word. There are podcasts. You, you are living in an era with zero excuses, okay? Whatever method you like to learn in, you can learn in times a thousand. You can read. That automatically puts you in a category of people far beyond your predecessors, okay? We have more resources available to us to get the word of Christ into our heart, and to whom much is given, much will be required.
So consider that. It's a joy to know Christ. It's the, one of the central purposes for his coming here. He's glorified by it, and you will glorify him, and you will grow to love and know your Savior. Let's pray, and then we will get ready for worship. Father, you sent your great shepherd so that we can be known by him and we can know him, you indeed. He is, in fact, God in the flesh. We're so thankful for the shepherd that you've sent. And I pray that as we study a little bit more about him this morning, that you would cause us to, um, to want to know him more and more, more thoroughly. May we make that the anthem of our lives. For we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.